A large patch of Santa Barbara open space will remain undeveloped thanks to the dedicated efforts of volunteers and community organizers. Save the San Marcos Foothills has reached its $18.6 million goal to purchase the 101-acre site west of Highway 154. The development company, the Chadmar Group, which is in current ownership of the land, had planned to develop $28 million luxury homes on the West Mesa property. On March 10th, Save the San Marcos Foothills made a deal with the Chadmar Group to purchase the West Mesa for $18.6 million to be raised. June 1st was the original deadline for the $18.6 million to be raised, but it was extended to June 9th. Over 5,500 donors contributed to the fund, including a local businesswoman who gave a $5 million grant anonymously. The Santa Barbara County Board of Supervisors also voted unanimously to contribute $2 million as part of the budget. After months of fundraising and protests, Save the San Marcos Foothills will add the West Mesa to the 200-acre San Marcos Foothills Preserve, which is managed by Santa Barbara County's Parks Division. According to the Foothills Forever website, the purchase will go toward conserving wildlife habitat, honoring Chumash heritage, maintaining open space, and providing environmental education opportunities. To learn more about efforts to buy back the West Mesa, I sat down with Ken Owen, executive director of conservation nonprofit Channel Island Restoration, and Danny Lynch, one of the four founders of Save the San Marcos Foothills. When I asked Ken how he felt knowing that the $18.6 million had finally been raised, he said the feeling that flooded over him was, to put it simply, relief. It really did not look like we were going to have a chance to... um make this happen in time because the timeline in which we had to raise the funding was so compressed. It was very short, just 90 days. And uh, we knew there was a possibility. From our perspective, it was a crapshoot, spend some money on an appraisal and staff time and put a video together and that kind of thing and start networking with people like Danny. So that was a, um, that uh, effort uh, actually ended up, uh, it was, as I say, it was kind of a long shot from the beginning and a bit of a crapshoot. And after having to spend a great deal of donors money to enter into an agreement to purchase the property and risk as much as a half million dollars or a million dollars, if this failed, yes, my, uh, over sense, my over, uh, arching response and feeling is relief. Danny agreed with Ken's sentiments, saying community support was a major factor in the success of their fundraising efforts. Definitely feeling relieved and just so grateful to the community support. I mean, it, I just, it was such an overwhelm of community support from the very beginning. And um, I think it sort of surprised everything, everyone. And it's really unlike any campaign we've ever seen to save open space in Santa Barbara. Um, so feeling relieved, feeling really grateful for everyone involved, and um, yeah, just overall happy, excited. Efforts to preserve the West Mesa go back to 1996, with the formation of the San Marcos Foothills Coalition, which aimed to save the entire 300-acre property from development. By 1999, over a dozen community organizations joined the coalition. Since then, preservationists have made it a priority to keep the land open and accessible to the public. As the area is the county's last natural preserve, efforts to preserve the land center largely around its unique ecological makeup, which Ken explained in more detail. The West Mesa of the San Marcos foothills is uh, 
does have unique ecological properties because it is a one of the last remaining native grasslands in Santa Barbara County. Grasslands are important to a certain uh, group of animals, um, particularly birds, such as burrowing owl and uh, other uh, species that are threatened and endangered. And they, a lot of these uh, bird species have been disappearing from the county. There's a massive decline all over North America in bird numbers. The numbers of species are dropping, uh, going extinct in some cases, and in others just dropping in numbers and disappearing from certain parts of the country where we've all been used to watching them for over a hundred years, at least systematically. And the grasslands support, like I say, uh, burrowing owl, sage sparrow, and a few other uh, species that are just uh, not nesting in, in California or in Santa Barbara anymore. They're not nesting in Santa Barbara anymore, or even in the entire county, uh, where they used to do that at the San Marcos foothills, particularly in this area called the West Mesa, which we just saved from development. Um, the One of the initial issues with nesting up there was really when the cattle were removed from the property uh, in anticipation of the development. Once that happened, invasive species were allowed to move into the areas between the native bunch grasses. The native bunch grasses uh, provided habitat, nesting space, uh, uh, but also had uh, room in between the bunches that allowed for birds to forage, find food, and then run back into their nest in the, in the native bunch grasses and uh, in the cover and run back to cover. So what happened is when uh, the animals were removed, the grazers, because the native grasslands depend on grazing to stay healthy. Prior to uh, certainly European uh, presence in this area, deer and probably elk and, and other animals regularly grazed grasslands. Uh, and so they've adapted to grazers. It, it actually doesn't make sense then to remove the grazers because you lose the uh, regulating effect that uh, animals have on the ecology. Because what happens, you end up with lots and lots of um, non-native grasses and other non-native plants that um, are present around here, but they're controlled by animals. And if the animals are removed, then they fill in all the spaces between the um, the bunch grasses, therefore making it a lot less valuable habitat. In fact, many of the species that used to be there um, or uh, used to nest there aren't there anymore. I'll throw meadowlarks in as a, as a group that I believe is not nesting anymore at the foothills. Uh, so that's a decline. We're watching the decline of bird populations in North America and it's happening in our own backyard right at the West Mesa. So one of the reasons that we wanted to prevent it from being developed was for the ecological significance that it has, especially for bird populations. And it's relatively easy to restore a landscape like that. We've been doing it for several years at the adjacent San Marcos Foothills Preserve, 
with sheep grazing. So they are, it's a careful program of managed grazing where sheep are moved around um, and lightly graze the areas, uh, the grasslands. And the result is the native grasslands respond uh, very well. And they, to the reduced competition, and they just re-sprout after being eaten. They're, they're used to that. They're adapted to that. Ken explained that the San Marcos foothills also serves as an important buffer between the Los Padres forest and the urban Santa Barbara Goleta area in the case of wildfires, which actually benefits the ecology of the land as well. Grazing, uh, getting rid of a lot of these non-native plants really helps from a fire perspective. It lowers the fuel load. And uh, the whole San Marcos foothills is really could be looked at as a buffer between the Los Padres forest and the urban uh, Santa Barbara Goleta area. Uh, it's, a, it's a defensible space. It's where the uh, fire department commonly sets up um, base camps to fight fires that are coming uh, down the um, San Inez mountains. And that happens a lot. So that area has burned multiple times and it will again, but this time there won't be homes there to burn. And uh, will it, the fire will actually benefit the ecology as long as you follow it up with grazing so non-native species don't move in. Throughout the fundraising campaign, Save the San Marcos Foothills has emphasized the land's important cultural ties and sacredness to the Chumash people, which dates back 15,000 years. Danny explained the importance of receiving a blessing from Chumash elders prior to moving forward with her group's efforts to preserve the land. When we started this effort, it was really important to us that we, you know, not only learn about proper protocol, but also get blessings from the elder of the of Barbarino Chumash elder, which was Ernestine Ignacio de Soto. So we we worked with her very closely. She gave us blessing to move forward with our efforts to to raise the funds, and she gave us blessing to move forward uh, with legal action as well. So she's been very involved as well as uh, Marianne Parra. And that was really important to us uh, to, you know, to, to honor, respect, and to follow that, that follow the proper protocol for that. Moving forward, Ken explains that members of the Chumash community are to be included and uplifted in the stewardship and use of the land. What's really important when you consider unseated Chumash property that you now quote unquote own or run is really who were the people who originally lived there. And the West Mesa, the San Marcos foothills uh, really had village sites closely located to it. And, and there is one archeological site on the preserve uh, where there was a village. So, you know, we can trace back people's ancestry to people who live there, which is really neat, I think. And it's really important to us to be in contact with the Native American folks who called this place home originally and make sure that they have uh, an outsized voice in how the uh, land is stewarded and used so we're, we're definitely wanting, uh, we're very aware of the significance of this land to the people who 
originally lived there. And this property was saved by a lot of people in the community, including uh, folks that identify with indigenous issues. They must be heard, they will be heard, and they will be involved. Many protests and demonstrations earlier this year preceded the $18.6 million deal, with one sit-in protest on February 25th resulting in the arrest of eight individuals who blocked a bulldozer, half of whom were indigenous women. One indigenous woman who was arrested posted on Facebook about her arrest, of which she said SB sheriffs violently detained her without reading her her rights or telling her why she was being arrested. Protesters rallied outside the jail that day, waiting for several hours and singing traditional Chumash songs until all eight individuals were released. After that came the 90-day peace agreement to reach $4 million by March 24th and the additional $18 million by June 1st. Danny described her experience protesting in defense of the West Mesa and organizing with Save the San Marcos Foothills. We started seeing some activity on the land. We knew we had to stage a sit-in. Um, which is something that we we really didn't want to do. We just, it was like our last resort. Um, So we staged a sit-in. We stopped the bulldozers from coming in. Um, Us and many other land defenders, allies, community members, people of all ages, everyone was there, uh, you know, and um, I think it was February 28th, maybe, um, that we had a, we actually had a hearing set with the developer to have a settlement agreement. So we actually had a meeting with, with him in our car as we're still protesting, we're still staging a peaceful sit-in um, to try to negotiate a, a settlement. Um, so from there, um, you know, we, we started working with both our attorney, which is Mark Chatillo, and, uh, and the, the other side's attorney as well to discuss what it's gonna look like moving forward. So from there, we got a purchase agreement um, and it took about, I'd say maybe 10 days for us to really finally get it to where we were like, okay, this is gonna be the best version of what this purchase agreement will look like. Uh, we all signed it, including uh, Ken with Channel Islands Restoration. And we knew we immediately had to get to work <laughs> and start fundraising because we had 90 days uh, to raise 18 million um, with two milestones of 5 million in the first week, an additional 5 million after, uh, I think, two weeks thereafter. Ken spoke more on the seemingly impossible task of raising $18.6 million within a 90-day period. Nobody says go, you know, you can do this, but you have to do it in 90 days oh and yes in a week we need five million and another week we need five million these milestones they were brutal and the overall time to raise the funding was brutal when i first brought this draft purchase agreement to my board of directors they thought it was nuts because how in the heck are we supposed to raise this kind of money in this kind of time with these kinds of restrictions and there was a half million non-refundable deposit just for the right to enter into this agreement. That was, you know, that was a wire transfer I had to sign to the developer with really early on with very little assurance that this could work. I, I didn't think that we would make it at that point, but um, from the very beginning, that didn't matter to me because this was our only chance and we had to try. 
With overwhelming community support and several million-plus-dollar donations from individual donors, Danny spoke to how proud and impressed she is that the community was able to rally together against seemingly insurmountable odds. What's so symbolic of what the community has just done is that, you know, I hope people walk away and realize that anything is possible. Like, not only as, you know, stewards of this land, we, you know, this is what we need to be doing as our responsibility all over the world is protecting and uh, preserving open space, but that we can do it, anyone can do it. And that's what I hope that people really walk away with um, is that is just take, just take what we've done with a grain of salt, but realize, you know, if we can do it, so can you, <laughs> and we should be. And while fundraising the $18.6 million can be celebrated as a major milestone, Ken said now is when the hard work begins. Right now we're planning phase two of the campaign, which will retire uh, the debts that from loans uh, that we took out to purchase the property in part, and uh, also to look at a, um, to start designing a public process where uh, the community uh, can, can have input on uh, different uses at uh, the property, uh, where the ecology and why that's important can be brought forth. So partially an educational process for the public, but an educational process for us as well to hear from the public. And uh, we're just trying to find out how extensive of a process we can handle uh, under, because they're expensive. It's not cheap. You need a facilitator. People have to put meetings together. But it's really essential that we get uh, folks involved in, at that level at least and then uh, look at um, potentially uh, something akin to an advisory board for the uh, property so that stakeholders, people who've been involved in saving the land, will have uh, then a voice in how it's managed. Ken explained that community members shouldn't expect any major changes to the land now that Channel Island's restoration is heading the preservation of that area, other than more community involvement and educational opportunities. During the rainy season, when the invasive grasses uh, and other plants are growing uh, vigorously, we will bring a flock of sheep uh, to the property for several days, maybe uh, twice in the rainy season for several days each. And uh, there'll be some temporary fencing put up uh, to contain the animals uh, so that their uh, grazing is managed. Um, and you'll find that uh, people are going to love that. They, they do it. The, the preserve, they became, the sheep became stars. Kids from San Marcos High School came out to help us move them. And it was just a lot of fun, really great. Everybody's interested. We have um, docents that usually volunteer to just hang out near the sheet, maybe get a chair and a book, and then people come by and we tell them about them because they ask questions. And so, yeah, we're, we're going to bring the rock stars out to the uh, preserve, the ewes and lambs that do such a great job of munching down the invasive plants uh, and are also really an amazing opportunity for education because the San Marcos foothills carry personal meaning and significance to many community members, I asked what the land meant personally to both Ken and Danny. From uh, an ecologist standpoint, I've been studying this land for years. 
absolutely adore it. It feels like home or coming home whenever I'm there. And when I see a plant that I've personally used a microscope on to identify or taken a photograph and put it on a website, they feel like old friends. And the same with the animals. Uh, the nesting uh, mockingbirds right now near the entrance are just wonderful. They're, they're so diligent. Don't let me sit there taking pictures of them for very long without getting really upset. So I, I back off because this is where they live. And, you know, those are the kinds of feelings I get when I go up there. It's just like I'm among friends and that's not just the plants and animals, but the primates too. Uh, the people up there are just great. Ken explained that during the pandemic, especially, the Foothills has provided many with a place of solace amidst a year of chaos. The interesting irony about this campaign is that we raised all this money in the middle of a pandemic. And uh, I think, ironically, our campaign was really well-timed because the Foothills really became an important escape for people in lockdown. We were all in lockdown, businesses were closed, but hiking was allowed because mental health was a priority for the state. And so that meant people were out on the trails. And uh, if you were out on the trails during the pandemic, you will notice they were, you know, a lot of people were out of work and they didn't have anything to do. <laughs> and the trails were just crowded, uh, the um, front country trails, certainly. Uh, whereas the, the foothills being a little less known, a little more open, was uh, a safer place to escape. There weren't a lot of people there. And in any case, you could stay distance from people easily. And uh, it was quiet. And so, yeah, it really became a place of peace for many people uh, who needed an escape during the pandemic. And it continues to be that. As for Danny, who reflects the sentiments of many other Santa Barbara community members, the area continues to serve as a therapeutic space, an opportunity for oneness with nature. I've lived here for over 17 years. I'm not originally from here. And this land specifically has shown up in my life in many different chapters of my life and in many different ways. Um, so it just holds this really, really precious uh, you know, part in my heart. And um, it's just where I go. It's, it's the place that I go. Like I was saying, it's, it's my therapy. It's where I find stillness. It's where I can walk my dog. It's where I can celebrate life with friends and enjoy a sunset. Um, it's, you know, it's where I feel connected to the land. Again, um, that the, the spaciousness of, of the land is just absolutely incredible. I don't get that feeling really anywhere else in Santa Barbara other than the ocean. So um, that's, yeah, to sum it up, it's just, it's my place. <laughs> Thank you to both Ken Owen, Executive Director of Channel Island Restoration, and Danny Lynch, one of the co-founders of Save the San Marcos Foothills, for speaking with me about their efforts to preserve the West Mesa. More information about how to support their efforts and get involved can be found at foothillsforever.org. For original reporting from KCSB's Aubrey Valerio on the February 2021 demonstrations in defense of the San Marcos foothills, head to soundcloud.com slash KCSBFM. With KCSB News, I'm Ashley Rush.